Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Before we do get started, I want to encourage you, as you make your travel plans, remember the name johnnydollarair.com. johnnydollarair.com is a Priceline affiliate where you can make all of your travel plans on hotels, rental cars, airline tickets, and more. You get all the advantages of going through Priceline, of being able to name your own price, or choose from great published fares. Plus, part of your purchase price goes to support the great detectives of old-time radio at no additional cost to you. So when you're making your travel plans, remember johnnydollarair.com first. Well, today we bring the serial era of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, to a close. It's time for The Silent Queen Matter Part 5, and coming up later, it'll be Manhunt. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Uh, Good morning, Mr. Dollar. This is Milo, remember? Oh, Milo Martin, the agent, yeah. Yes, I've just read about that terrible affair about Jarvis Pocket murdered. Oh, that's a terrible thing. (sighs) Yeah, he didn't even make it to the hospital. Uh, And you, Mr. Dollar, the killer tried to do away with you, too, huh? All I got was a nice crack on the head and a not-so-nice dunking in the canal. Uh, You were fortunate, Mr. Dollar, extremely fortunate. Yeah, yeah. Anything else you wanted to talk about, Milo? Oh, yes. I'm sorry I wasn't at the office when you called earlier. Well, your secretary gave me part of the information I was after. She remembered a man had phoned your office yesterday. Yes. She said he was a business associate of someone named Joseph Fallon. Well, I was I was out of the time, but he did leave that message. Well, what I wanted to know is, did he ever call back? No. No, he didn't. He probably will. Unless he figures he's already found his pigeon. Pigeon? What for? Blackmail, Mr. Martin. Blackmail. <laughs> Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Ocean Park, California. To State Unity Life, Home Office, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, The Silent Queen Matter. Expense account, final page. Twenty-seven years ago, somebody had hired one Joe Fallon to murder Tom Sanford, the husband of silent movie star Mavis Gale. But Joe had muffed the job. Now that somebody had turned killer himself. His first victim, Tom Sanford, who'd been going under the name of Barney Slade and running a penny arcade in Ocean Park. The second, Jarvis Pocket, who could have helped us spot the killer. 
The only two others who might help us were actor Francis Trevelyan and actor's agent Milo Martin. And both had received phone calls from the killer. The reason? Blackmail, obviously. Item 13, $1.35 cab fare to police headquarters. Morning, Sergeant. Hello, Dollar. How do you feel? Oh, okay, I think. You turn up anything on Pockets, killer? Only this. Two slugs taken from the body, fired from a thirty-eight. From the same gun that killed Barney Slade? The same. Well, it figures. Oh, I wish a lot more, dude. Hey, look. Just what have we got, anyway? Maybe you better start with what we haven't got. Well, Barney Slade gets clobbered by a killer who scrawls question marks all over Mavis Gale's photographs in his dingy apartment. To draw attention to Mavis Gale. All right. Mavis is named as a beneficiary in Slade's insurance policy. Claims she doesn't know the man, then takes a look at his body and identifies it as husband Tom, who supposedly was killed 27 years ago on a hunting trip. Right. Then Jarvis Pocket, one of the men who'd been on that trip, fills us in with the info that Mavis Gale's ex-chauffeur had tried to knock off Tom. Yeah, but he goofed the job and got knocked off himself. Question. Had Joe Fallon been hired? Answer? Probably. Question. Who hired him? (laughs) There's a beaut, huh? Say, this Milo Martin ever get in touch with you? Yeah, just before he came over. He got a call, all right, apparently from the same man who called Trevelyan. Mm-hmm. Trying Fallon's name on for size. Oh, he's trying to get a reaction, that's for sure. And when he gets the right one, he'll put on the squeeze. I wonder why he didn't call Mavis Gale and give her the pitch. Maybe he did, and she, uh, forgot to tell us about it. Think he called Jarvis Pocket? No, no, I think Pocket would have told us. I wonder if Pocket told us everything last night at Barney's place. Oh, probably not. I think he suspected something or someone. When he left us, he probably did a little prowling of his own. Result, got himself killed. (laughs) Look, it's almost noon. Yeah, yeah. I'll buy you lunch. We'll have about an hour. Then what? Then I'm going to Tom Sanford's funeral. Aren't you? They buried Tom Sanford, alias Barney Slade, that afternoon under cold gray skies that made it look like it would rain any minutes. But that didn't keep the crowd away. All Barney's friends from the pier were there, including Frank Jessup, who ran the mermaid bit, and Twyla James, who pushed pennies at the arcade. Mavis Gale, of course, was there, along with Francis Trevelyan and Milo Martin. And there were the usual spectators who came out of curiosity. When it was all over, the sergeant and I started down the hill. Hello there, sergeant. Mr. Dollar. Oh, hiya, Frank. Mr. Jessup. Sure was a nice ceremony, wasn't it? Yeah, very nice. Pier was practically closed down. Everybody here for the funeral. Uh, we're all going to miss old Barney. Somehow I just can't bring myself around to calling him Tom. Don't seem to fit somehow. Sure. Well, I, uh... I gotta get back to Twyla. She's taking this kind of hard. Oh, yeah, sure. I was kind of surprised the way Miss Gale stood up. Real brave she was. No tears at all. Yeah, I noticed that. Sergeant? Maybe she was all cried out, Dollar. It happens, you know. Uh Uh-huh. It happens. I went back to my room at the hotel later that afternoon and stretched out on the bed to do a little thinking. Sleep, something I hadn't had much of in the past 24 hours, finally caught up. 
When I awoke, it was dark outside. After a shower and shave, I wandered on down to the amusement pier again. No particular reason. Then I remembered I still had the key to Barney's apartment. I flicked on the light switch in the living room and sat down. Then as I reached around for an ashtray on the small table close by, my sleeve brushed several medicine bottles to the floor. I was picking them up when somebody came in through the back door. Mr. Dollar? Oh. I happened to notice the light under the arcade door. What are you doing back here? Well, uh, nothing in particular, Twyla. I, uh, I'm afraid I accidentally knocked these off the table. Oh, no harm, I guess. Poor Barney won't be needing them anymore. Well, he had quite an array here. Medicine, pills? Yeah. Virus of some kind. Hit him like a ton of bricks a month or so ago. Oh? Did he go to the hospital? <laughs> no. Not Barney. He wouldn't hear of it. Well, who took care of him? Oh, Frank Jessup, myself. Between the two of us, we did the cooking and saw to it he got his medicine and all. Wait a minute. I thought you said you'd never been in Barney's apartment. Yeah, that's right. First time was when I... I found the body. Well, look, if you and Frank took care of him while he was sick... Well, it was I... over at Frank's place in Venice. Oh. Yeah, Barney and Frank and a couple other fellows were playing cards. Suddenly, Barney wasn't feeling so good, so he decided to lie down for a while. That's when the game broke up. Frank stayed with Barney, and when he saw how bad his fever was, he called Doc Ferris. Doc Ferris, huh? Yeah, lives over in Venice. Thanks, sweetheart. Lock up for me. Expense account item 14, $1.50. Cab fare and tip to Doc Ferris's place in Venice. Barney, he told me, had been a pretty sick man. High fever. Delirious at times. But Frank Jessup had stayed by his bedside during the crisis and had done a good job of nursing him through the night. Expense account item 15, $1.50, same cab, back to the amusement zone. The attendant at the mermaid bit told me that Frank Jessup had gone home early. Expense account item 16, $0.75, cab fare to Frank's bungalow in Venice. The place was dark. No answer. Oh, yes, ma'am. You oh, know, you he know. just left a few minutes ago. Out for a walk, I guess. Oh, that's so? Do uh, you know which way you headed? Down the street. That way. Good, thanks. I finally caught sight of him a couple of blocks later. He was headed south along a back street. I trailed him all the way out to 47th Avenue. Sand dunes, oil wells, a scattering of houses. Then I saw him duck into some shadows, so I waited. About ten minutes later, a big Cadillac came along, cruising slowly. As it reached the corner, someone inside flicked out a package, and then the car disappeared into the night. Frank Jessup suddenly darted out of the shadow, scooped up the package, and came running straight toward me. Hold it, Frank. What? I said, hold it. Let go. Let go. What are you doing here? I don't have to ask you that question, do I, Frank? And I don't have to guess what's in that package. Let go. Not a chance. All right. Look, Dollar. We get a good thing here, maybe. We have. Sure, sure, why not? 50-50. That the deal you offered to your old friend, Barney Slade? Look, look, I, I didn't want to kill him. Only when I went there the other night and told him what I had in mind, he... Well, he got sore. Started pushing me around. How did you find out about Barney's past? That time he was sick? Delirious? Fever make him do a lot of talking? That's right. So Barney spilled the whole thing without knowing it. Come on, Dollar, let's get out of here. Pocket guessed you were behind it all, didn't he? Figured that's exactly how you found out. So you had to get rid of him, too. Look, Dollar. Oh, still, little pal. Now, who tossed out that package of money? Come on, Jessup. 
You call somebody on the phone and got a nice fat reaction when you mention the name of Joe Fallon. Now, who is that somebody? I am, Mr. Dollar. Uh-uh. Easy there. I'm a good shot. Well, well. The actor's friend and agent, Milo Martin. Thank you for holding our little friend here, Mr. Dollar. It makes things a lot easier. Huh? Your little friend was running a bluff on you, Martin. I don't think he's got the proof that you hired Joe Fallon 27 years ago. Oh, really? Perhaps not, but I couldn't risk it. Now, could I? So you thought you could make a little time with Mavis Gale if husband Tom was out of the way, that it? Yes, but I was wrong. Didn't even give you a tumble. Too bad, Milo. A stupid woman, really. is quite stupid. And now, little man... Look, Mr. Martin, we can forget all this. Don't be ridiculous. We can't. By the way, we haven't met, have we? Allow me. Frank Jessup, he runs a stall down at the amusement zone. Mr. Martin, you've got to trust me. I, I can keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I fully intend to make certain of that, Mr. Jessup. Look, all we're going to do is get rid of Dollar here. Oh, you're a sweet kid, aren't you? Nobody will ever know, Mr. Martin, I swear it. You're so right, little man. No one will ever know. Hey! Frank pulled away from me somehow and started racing across the sand dunes, but he didn't get very far. Milo Martin pumped two shots into his back. That meant he took his eyes off me for just a split second, and that's all I needed. What? I belted him where he was very, very soft, and then followed with a hard uppercut. Milo, 10% Martin, folded without a sound. 17th and final item on expense account, $185.10, hotel and incidentals in Ocean Park and transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, $436.25. End of accounts. Remarks about Frank Jessup. He got his out there in the sand dunes for the murders of Tom Sanford, alias Barney Slade, and Jarvis Pocket. About Milo Martin, in jail, awaiting trial for murder of the above-mentioned F. Jessup. About Mavis Gale. She's going to see to it that the good work at Brother Pocket's rescue mission goes on. We'll donate $25,000 to the cause. <laughs> yeah, you guessed it. That'll be the insurance money. End of remarks and a report. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Here's our star with a special announcement. Yes. I think you'll be glad to know that beginning Sunday, instead of five times a week, we'll be on the air only once a week, but with a complete half-hour story. Remember, that's beginning this coming Sunday. So join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. This week's story was written by Adrian John Doe. Heard in the cast were Paula Winslow, Virginia Gregg, Victor Perrin, Paul Dubov, Frank Gerstel, John Daner, Lawrence Dobkin, and Chet Stratton. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Remember, we'll now be on the air on Sunday nights. The time will be listed in your newspaper with more exciting stories of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. Well, a uh, solid and definitely unexpected uh, ending. And I'm fairly satisfied with the way that this ends up. I don't know who... Uh, the it moving from five nights a week to one half hour show would be considered good news for except for listeners who can relax on a sunday when they're off from work rather than having to no matter where they are turn on the radio lest they've missed uh johnny dollar of course you always have to put a positive spin on a thing like this while we've had a few bumps, and there were a few stories that I didn't like quite as much as uh, others, the, make no mistake, I think this has been 58 of the greatest weeks of radio drama ever produced, and I'm so glad we were able to bring it to you. Even though we had a few hiccups and differences, uh, bringing it to you at the beginning with uh, some episode mix-ups. This was such a wonderful show, and the good news is we still do have quite a bit of Johnny Dollar left. With about three and a half years of Bob Bailey uh, half-hour episodes, plus about another year and a half of uh, Bob Redick and Mandel Kramer episodes. Well, now let's go ahead and take a listen to Manhunt. And up today is the clue of the murdered maestro, or murdered maestro, I should say. Let's take a listen. Man, the clue of the murdered maestro. Let's do man. No crime has been committed. Yes. No murder has been done. Yes. No manhunt has been gotten. Yes. Hello. Hello. Good evening, man. I want to talk to you. I'm working on a new orchestra arrangement. I don't want to talk to anybody. Whoever you are, I'm alone here in this room. Nobody could possibly get in if I let them in. You? You know what you're talking about. I- I'm getting out of here. Three. Loose. Murderer is so clever he can talk to his victim on the telephone and still fire the gun that killed him. Who will solve the Slayer's secret? Who will bring him to justice? Who will start the man hunt? Man hunt and the clue of the murdered mice. All right, Drew. Now that we're almost there, don't you want to know where we're headed to? Not particularly. See, Bill, you're head of the homicide department. I'm head of the police laboratory. Technically, you're my boss. You said to come with you, and here I am. Yeah, but we've been riding for 15 minutes, and you haven't. Go under the curb of this big house. Come on, get out. We're on a case, Drew. Oh, where the case, Bill? A murder. How should I know? 
All I know is a few minutes ago, I got a call from a musician in Gordon Grant's band. Grant? Yeah. I'm leader. Dealer, dear? Yeah, right up there. Anyhow, this musician says he knows Grant is in a certain room in the house. He can't get any answer when he knocks on the door. Why didn't he go out and call him on the telephone? Hey, he got phones in the house. He's called a private number, he says. He's got a busy thing. Maybe the guy took the phone off the hook and flicked us. Maybe, no. Let's hope that his sleep is permanent. He promised to it. around to break down the door, Orion. The axe wouldn't do much good, Sergeant. The door is sheet metal. How about the windows? There are no windows. Right in the center of the house. It's built special this fellow place. Special? It's built special for what? It's sound. One door and no windows. The walls are thick and sound. Grant had to have absolute quiet when he worked. Must be in the room now, sir. The door is open to each side. This quite a mystery, Precinct sent around and settled in court, Sergeant Morton, after I phoned him. Okay, do you? Oh, wait till I bang on the door to make sure. Okay, all right. Run it down. Okay, I don't know if that's the door. I couldn't live if anything happened to him. Don't worry, Jill. We'll know in a minute now. You don't like to wait here, Sergeant Morton? Huh? Yeah, okay. Are you coming, all right? In a minute, sir. That does it, sir. Can't do that hole and slide the bolt. Still can't open her up. Something's holding it back. Come on, do. Push. Right. Come on. Pull. There. There we've got it. This is what was holding the door back. Gordon Grant's body. No! No! Shot through the back of the head. Right in. Murderer's still got to be in this room. Couldn't get out. I don't see anybody. Nobody can hide. Well, anyway, on it. Yeah, I see them, Bill. You know something? If that's the gun that killed Grant, we've really got a case. And shot a room that nobody could get in or out of. Nobody except a murderer, that is. Well, I've been busy with this. I've just finished checking the gun we found in Grant's study. Well? It's the one that killed him, all right. And as usual, no fingerprints. So can't be suicide. I know this sounds like real talking, but isn't this whole situation a little bit impossible? Even a little bit. Grant was shot in a room that had no windows. The only door was locked on the inside. No trap doors, closets, wall ceilings, or anything like that. And the walls are thick. Pat, how'd you like a look at that? All right, but what for? Find something there that'll lead us to murder it. I don't go that far. The reason I broke in just now was because there's a man outside who wants to confess murdering Grant. Well, Pat, for Pete's sake, show him in. I'm on my way through. How do you do, Mr. Stevens? I am Anton Belloin. How do you do? 
understand? Thank you, Mr. Stevens. You look puzzled when you came out of Gordon Grant's house a little while ago. So? You resemble a man with a great violinist who studied with me once. I like him, and I do not want you to be upset. So I came to tell you I killed Gordon Grant. Did, eh? Why? What have you got against musicians? Grant was not a musician, Mr. Stevens. Any more than I am a murderer. He was the murderer. He murdered Chopin, Rivsky, Korsakov, Massanet. Murdered them with his chance. They had to die. You have to kill him? I am a musician, Mr. Stevens. You do not understand how that answers your question. No. No, I don't, but that doesn't matter. How did you kill him? I'd like to know that. You cannot figure it out, eh? Perhaps I have finally composed a masterpiece. Perhaps it is not music, but it will take an artist to interpret it. Try, Mr. Stevens. Try. Practice. Practice as I did for so many years. Practice makes perfect you know. Yes, I know. But this time it looks like practice has made a perfect crime. <laughs> Now, Mr. Stevens, they've all left. That musician had any place in the other room with the girl singer, Joe Davis. You won't leave the house. Uh-huh. Well, pass him the quit here, will you, Mike? And, uh, Pat, when he does the music, you will outside and stay in the room. What am I doing? Secretary or a comforter? Be right back. Hey, did you see the one of this room? Hey, they won't be. Shots, black, tails, and notes. Looks like somebody just grabbed handfuls of them and threw them at the wall. That's just a pretty bad thing. Did you have it? No. Find out how that crazy musician, the loin, got out of the room after this man. Oh, Lord, he. Come on, Pat. Mike will show you where Mr. Davis is. Okay. Well, I think you can help me, Eddie. Look, let's suppose Grant was standing at the door when he shot. Well, it's been straight, so it had to be fired from somewhere on a straight line with the door. But the gun was lying on the floor right here. That's right. Yes. Suppose Grant wasn't shot from this room. But sir, if the shot was fired from the next room, it would have ripped the wallpaper. Yeah, I know, I know. Somebody ripped the wallpaper. Yeah, sure. Hey, a hole in the wall. More like a slide. Gun in this wall slot and shove it. 
There. See? The gun falls into the other room. Yeah, but the wallpaper, it was intact when you and Sergeant Morton broke in. Well, I think I can explain that too, Eddie. Supposing I put some paste on a square of wallpaper big enough to cover both of the wall. I took a stick or something. Put it in the center of the paper square while I'm still in this room. I follow my Then I stick through the hole. But it's on the other side, I yank it towards me. The tape would have opened up on the other side of the slot. Yanking the stick would paste it on the wall right over the hole. And because of the crazy design on the wallpaper there, it was impossible to notice that it was attached. Well, then the hole could be filled with newspapers from this side. Yes. A little plastering in here, and the job was done. Sounds like somebody sure figured out a wonderful plan. Yes, Eddie, you sure did. You killed Grant. Which did you want, his band or his girl? One of the both, but you'll never... Oh, no! Don't ever try to pull a gun on me, Eddie. I don't like it. I'll just take that little boy from you. There. Hey, did you send the line in to confess the murder? Sure, I did. You thought he was being a part of the music. How did you pin this thing on me? Well, that either was paste all over your trombone slot. Got there when you pushed the wallpaper through the spot. I didn't have time to scrape it off. Joking. Oh, never mind, Eddie. Explain it to your lawyer. Too bad you weren't satisfied just to blow your own horn and... Not try to cover up a murder with it. Welcome back. Again, in Manhunt, it's rare that someone will just commit a murder the simple way. That's part of the point of the whole puzzle. Well, this was a decent outing here. Uh, now we, we do need to get to some programming notes. Manhunt will be moving to Monday. Before the next two Mondays, you'll get two episodes of Manhunt. Johnny Dollar's half-hour shows will remain on Friday, and I intend to keep it that way for the rest of the run of this series. And join us tomorrow for Police Headquarters. And that'll do it for today. So if you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.